You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, hey, I'm going to tell you before I preach, it's been an exciting year for my family. Uh, three weddings in nine months. How do you do that? Amen? My daughter Taylor was married in May, the end of May, to a wonderful young man we, we love dearly, Nick Mobley, and uh, so excited for them. And our oldest son, Garrett, who many of you have prayed for, we just want to say hallelujah. He's doing wonderful. You know how God gives us more than we ask for sometimes? We, we prayed for our son for a long time, and literally in less than a year, God, we see God restoring him. And God put a wonderful young lady in his life named Whitney Hall, and they are getting married September the 4th, and I'm getting to do the wedding. I'm telling you, it's a miracle. And I just want to give God the glory for that publicly today. And then our middle son, Landon, who most of y'all know, is getting the honor to marry Crystal Zapata. Amen? Crystal's going to be my daughter, not my daughter-in-law. I told her I always wanted two girls, so now I got it. Actually, going to wind up with three. Amen? So, so excited for them. I will get to officiate that wedding as well, and we love her to death. She uh, is marrying our whole family, and uh, we love that girl, and so grateful for them, excited for them. And then our youngest son, Logan, if anybody's interested, we'll take, <laughs> we'll take applications if someone wants to propose to him after church. Uh, I want to be an empty nester. How many empty nesters in the building? Amen? Is it wonderful? Hey, you empty nesters, is it wonderful? Come on. I want to be an empty nester. We had Logan late in life. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that, young couples. Uh, if everything falls into place when I get him through college and, and everybody moves out, I should be an empty nester around 77, the best I can tell. So, anyway, no, we're excited. And, uh, Thank you all for praying for our family. Well, Matthew 26. You know, I thought about what to preach on today. I talked to a preacher a couple of weeks ago, and I knew he had just finished his series on dealing with regret, on dealing with regret. So I knew next Sunday was was the Lord's Supper. So I thought, you know, preacher, I said, I think God's laid on my heart a message about what happened right before Calvary. So today I'm going to go back to Gethsemane. And... I want you to go there with me. We won't be long today. But as we think about, you know, Brother Eric always teaches us before the Lord's Supper that we need to reflect. Before next Sunday, before you take the Lord's Supper, you need to remember and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. And so I want to go back to Gethsemane, and I want you to, with me, remember what he did in Gethsemane. I want you to go there with me today. Let's read verses 36 through 46 today in Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful, and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and 
prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time the same words that he prayed in verse 42. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Today I want to go back to Gethsemane. Just hours before Jesus would die for our sin. I mean, this is just hours before Calvary. A lot had happened in this chapter. If you study the whole chapter, Jesus had been anointed with the alabaster box. Jesus had had the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. One of the, I can't remember which gospel, one of them says they had even sung a hymn. I like that. And then the Bible says that he had already been betrayed by Judas. Preacher talked about that a few weeks ago under the regret series, how Judas and Peter had to deal with some regrets. And then he had also already told his disciples that it said, Lord, we'll never leave you. Again, referring a little bit back to preacher series. He had already, yes, you'll deny me too. This was going to be a difficult day for Jesus. The sorrow I see in this chapter is overwhelming. Today I want to dig into that a little bit. I want to dig into the suffering and the sorrow in Gethsemane. You see, in our world today, there's a lot of people hurting, isn't there? There's a lot of agony and despair. It's very heavy. The Bible uses the term heavy in this passage. And before we get deeply into this message, I just thought it would be good to start the message out by saying it may be some of you. Because you know what, church? We're good at, on the outside, making it look like we're fine. But on the inside, being in agony. So if that's you today, I want you to know there are some things in this chapter, not only as we see the suffering of our Savior, but as we see how He deals with this sorrow. God helps us and teaches us how we can deal with our sorrow. I love that. And as He was preparing to die for me, He teaches me and helps me to deal with my own sorrow. I love that. The word Gethsemane literally means olive press. You know anything about the Garden of Gethsemane? It was an actual garden. It rests at the foot of the Mount of Olives. I believe it's still olive trees there today. I've never had the privilege of going to the Holy Lands. I would love to, but my understanding is there's still olive trees there today. And the word means olive press. The word Gethsemane means olive press. And it it was a place where they would take the olives and put tremendous pressure on the olives to extract the valuable oil. Olive oil was used for many things back then, and it still is today. Many of you, like me, probably use it to cook with. Amen? It's used as a resource for cooking. In my study, I found that many people in Israel would use it for health needs. It had medicinal and even healing purposes. The bottom line is, it was gained as a result of tremendous pressure in the olive press. Today... It is symbolic of the pressure Jesus was facing. I just think it's good to note before we go into the outline that we remember the pressure our Savior was under. Amen? We tend, hey, whether we like it or not, I know we all have our sufferings, but for the most part, I think we'd all have to agree we've actually had to suffer very little for Jesus. We've had it pretty easy, church. Amen? And I'm not saying your suffering is... I don't want to minimize anybody's suffering because I've learned as a pastor that everybody's pain is important to them. Even though I may not think it's a a big deal. It's a big deal to the person that's going through it. I think it's important to note that. But at the same time, 
I know we've never faced the pressure that we see in this chapter. Jesus was hurting. This was going to be a difficult day for Jesus. Your first note under foundational thoughts, let's jump into this thing. As we go into the coming week leading up to the Lord's Supper next Sunday, we are called to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. God teaches us to do this in remembrance of Him. He wants us to remember. Amen? Now, why do you think God teaches us to remember things? Because we forget. We forget, don't we? In our humanity, we tend to forget. In the rat race of life, we forget what God's done for us. We take it for granted, don't we? Let's just be honest. There are times in our life when we take for granted what God's done. That's why he told us to do the Lord's Supper. Hey, my church from time to time needs to gather. They need to meet. And they need to remember what I've done for them. We need to reflect. We need to remember. I was looking yesterday, different things God tells us to remember. He said in the Old Testament many times in the first five books of the Bible, he told Moses, remember my covenant. Remember my covenant. A covenant is a relationship based on promises between two parties. Aren't you glad today, church? God said to remember my promises. Aren't you glad today for the promises of God? Amen. I'm glad today in a COVID world, in a world of unknown, in a world that seems to be unstable, hey, even among Christian culture, that I can rest, I can stand, hey, I can base my whole eternity on the promises of God. Some of y'all, if you don't get anything else, I want you to know, you can leave here today, hey, resting in the promises of God our Savior. I'm thankful for His promises, His covenant. He also said this to Moses many times, and to David in the book of Psalm, I think 71 times, he says, remember my word or my precepts. He tells his people, remember my word. For some of us, it may just be a matter of, hey, Lord, moving forward, I want to remember your word. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've either been down or needing someone or something to lift me up, and God just gave me a word. Amen? Just a word or a verse. I'll never forget when my son was struggling with addiction and I began to wonder, is he really saved? I mean, I was doubting God. Is my son really saved? I remember when he prayed and asked God to save him. And in the middle of the night, I mean, it was like 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And the lady, the, the young lady he was dating at the time, he said, Dad, I need you to pray for her. She wants to know what it is to be a Christian. And God gave me a word. It was almost like God said, listen, your son's rebelling. Yes, he's involved in addiction. But God gave me a word that said lost people don't care about lost people. Your son's saved. I mean, God just gave me a word. And if you study the Bible, you'll find out lost people don't care about lost people. For my son and his addiction to call me and have a burden for a lost girl. I mean, that was God. He says, remember my word. Sometimes all you need is a word. Sometimes all you need is to remember his promises because God is not slacked on his promises. He ain't going to slack on his, amen? And then I love this one in Deuteronomy where he told Moses remember when I brought you out of Egypt when you were slaves in bondage sometimes we just need to remember where he's brought us from amen sometimes hey where would you be today without Jesus sometimes we need to go back and hey we need to quit worrying about where we want to be and start thanking God for where he's brought us from and where he's brought us to church We need to get excited about that. Amen? 
Remember, he said, Moses, remember when I... Now, sometimes we'll slip back off into Egypt, won't we? But he said, you need to remember when I brought you out of it. The second note under your foundation there is, while we typically remember the physical suffering on the cross, and we'll do that next week, and we should, today in Gethsemane, we see the emotional and the mental suffering of Jesus. As we go into Gethsemane, I want to focus on the mental anguish of our Savior. Next week, we will more than likely focus on the cross. And we should. I'm I'm for that. I think that's what we ought to do. And we'll take time to remember what Jesus done on the cross. But today, I want to go back a little further to Gethsemane. And I want you to see, if you can, with me, the, the mental anguish of Jesus. We tend to focus on the physical, but I believe in this chapter we see the mental anguish of Jesus that I believe, and one theologian I looked up yesterday said, was just as great as the physical suffering. So as we go into Gethsemane in your notes today, the first thing we remember is we remember the humanity of Jesus. Amen, church? Jesus was a man. Do y'all realize that? Do y'all realize today that we see in this chapter that this was not just God's suffering, this was a man's suffering? Could I remind you today, church, hey, that Jesus not only took on a crown of thorns for you, He not only, hey, took the scourging, hey, He not only took the cat of nine tails, He not only took the physical beating and the death of you, the physical pain, but that He also suffered as a man? He suffered as a human being. I hope today we can get a picture of that. I I think too many times in my life I forget about this. The humanity of Jesus. He was 100% God and 100% man here. He was not only holy and sinless and perfect as He had to be to pay for our sin. He was not only the Son of God, but many times Scripture calls Him what? The Son of man. I see the Son of Man here. You know what He did? He dealt with the same emotions we do. He was a man. In just a few minutes, or just a few hours, Gethsemane happened at night, but in just a few hours, while He was on the cross, He said what? He said, I thirst. He was a man. Remember in the desert, when the devil tempted Him, He had fasted for 40 days. And he said he was hungry. He was a man. Remember when he went to the temple and threw out the money changers? He was angry. Why? Because he was a man. We see his humanity. We see his emotions. And I just think it's important this morning that we remember that this God that sent the God and his son Jesus also was a man. We see when Lazarus died that he wept. Why? Because he had emotion. He was a human being. He was a man. Not only did the Son of God die for you, church, but the Son of Man also died for you. And in this chapter, we see unbelievable agony. And I just think we take it for granted. I do. I just I think I take it for granted. The suffering of our Savior. He was... A man In John 1, 1, I believe it will be on your screen, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And in John 1, 14, if you'll put that one up there, I love this, And the Word was made what? Flesh. God was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was flesh, just like you and I. When Jesus died, it was God dying in our place, but it was also a man dying in our place. That blows my mind. Jesus, who knew no sin, didn't just die for my sin. What does it say? He became sin. You know, I I can register in my mind how God 
It's not easy, but I, I think to myself, God, only you could become sin for me. But I'm seeing another man become sin for me here. Yes, he was 100% God, but church, he was a man. He was a human. I see his humanity. Your first note under the humanity of Jesus, if I, I don't think I've given that, is we see in his sorrow the humanity of Jesus as he considered the cost of sin in verse 37. It says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be what? Sorrowful and very heavy. We see his sorrow as he experienced the same emotions that we do today. Hunger and thirst and anger at times as a man. There's one emotion that stands out in this passage, and it's sorrow. It's sorrow. Man, it, that's all I see when I look at this passage. The Bible says he was sorrowful in verse 37 and began to be very heavy. I don't know where you are today. I, as I looked into this passage, I wonder who here today is sorrowful. Jesus is going into Gethsemane. Some of you may be going into Gethsemane today. I don't know. Gethsemane is a place of pressure, remember? Maybe some of you are facing some pressures today. Maybe you're dealing with some internal agony or pain that nobody knows about. Jesus here was very sorrowful. He was sorrowful as he considered the cost of our sin. I would remind you today as we go into the Lord's Supper next week, listen... Hey, salvation is a free gift from God. But I would remind you it come at a great cost to God. Even though Jesus knew this was God's perfect plan and that it had been established before the world was formed, I believe because He was a man, He was sorrowful. He was hurting. The Bible said he was sorrowful. The Bible said in your second note, we see in his heaviness as he considered the cup of wrath and judgment. We see it was heavy. Have you ever been so sorrowful that it was heavy? You know, I, I really, to be honest with you, can only think of one time in my life. I don't think it compares to what Jesus went through. But when my nephew died of cancer at 11 years old, I remember a heaviness around my family. I remember a heaviness. It's just different when you lose a child. Amen? I lost my mother two months ago. Yes, I grieved, but I didn't despair. I wasn't in agony because my mother's alive. My nephew's alive, but there was something about that event. Because you're not supposed to bury your children. And there was a heaviness and a sorrow around that whole week or so. I just, I can't explain it. But I, I thought about that when I saw that Jesus' sorrow was heavy. It was a weight. Boy, our sin's heavy, ain't it, church? Hey, don't forget, our sin weighs a lot. The curse of sin was heavy even for a perfect Savior. And God, the Son of God and the Son of Man said, Hey, Lord, the sin of the world is sure is heavy. Oh, it was heavy that day. We see in this passage, your third note under there is we see in this progression of this burden as he was near death. How heavy was his sorrow? Well, look at verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. And I looked that word up, exceeding sorrowful. And one of my concordances said, that would be a term used if there was wailing going on. I believe Jesus was in the garden and he was wailing over the cost of sin. He was wailing over the pressure of Gethsemane, of this olive press. He was wailing 
as he prepared to die for you and for me, our Savior was wailing under great sorrow, church. We forget about it, don't we? I think we forget about the humanity of Jesus. He was wailing, exceeding sorrow. It says, even unto death. Now, there's a lot of debate out there among theologians. Some say that Jesus was sorrowful that he may not even make it to Calvary. And that was part of the sorrow. I'm not a theologian. So I don't know that. What I do know is he was in agony. What I do know is he was very heavy. What I do know is he was at the point of death. His sorrow was so heavy. Hey, no physical thing had been done to him yet. No scourging. No nails. Yet he was about to die. Can you relate to this kind of agony and anguish and mental pain our Savior went through for us, church? I I would remind you today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper next week, hey, to not only celebrate the fact that He died for you, but you and I need to celebrate the fact, hey, that He took on our mental pain and our mental suffering. I think there's something else here too. I think Jesus took the cup because he wanted to see and be willing to not just die for sin, but accept our suffering. This was meant for us, amen? But he wanted to be willing to accept our suffering and be touched with our infirmities. That's the way it had to happen. You see, God can't look on sin. God can't look on sin. He had to put Jesus in human flesh to be a sacrifice. Because as God alone, He can't look on sin. He can't become sin. So Jesus wanted to fill our infirmities. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, if we could get them on the screen. One of my favorite passages says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. we got to... We've got to hold fast to our profession, church, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. We see his humanity, don't we? He was touched with all of our infirmities, just like you are. Hold fast to your profession, Hebrews tells us. He feels our infirmities. He knows our pain. He knows, hey, he wanted to become man, not just to die, but to also feel our pain. Have you ever been sorrowful, and yet someone reached out to you and was able to ease your burden because they almost felt your pain? I believe that's what he's talking about here. We need to, as a body of believers, we need to always be working on, Lord, help me not only to pray for others, but help me as a brother or sister to feel others' pain. Help me learn to feel that. When our son was in addiction, I went from praying for him to, Lord, help me to feel his pain. God, help me to bear his infirmities. Help me not to judge him, God, but to feel his pain and to feel his infirmities and to feel his pressure. It'd do us good to learn how to do that because Jesus did that for you. I would say today to the lady who's lost a child in life that Jesus knows how you feel. I would say to the man today who's struggling with temptation or struggling with addiction, and you wonder where it's all going to end, and you're under a lot of pressure, and you feel like you've let people down, and and as a man today, you're struggling with the fact, do I even want to live? Maybe, Maybe you're at the point of death, and you're struggling with it. I want you to know, and you may say, nobody really knows how I feel. Hey, Jesus knows how you feel. No matter what you go through, church, hey, I'm going to tell you today, there's going to be times, hey, Only God will know how you feel, but He does. Mark it down. 
Maybe you feel abandoned today. Maybe you feel neglected. Maybe you feel like you've been totally abandoned. Jesus knows how you feel. Do you realize today that God, hey, would never abandon you or I? The only one God ever abandoned was His own Son for you and I. Jesus knows what's it like to be abandoned. Man, I thought so many times as I was dealing with our son's addiction, why me? And and God reminded me that he abandoned his own son. God also reminded me one time, you know, I went back, we need to remember his word. Just a footnote, I remember one time God sharing with me when he lost Lucifer. God said, I know what it's like to have a son lose a son. He lost the star of the morning, didn't he? God knows what we go through, don't he? God feels our infirmities. God feels our pain. We can rest in that church, amen? That ought to be exciting to us, even as we look into this chapter of agony and sorrow and mental anguish. Hey, I'm excited today to know that I can take anything to my Savior, and He knows how I feel. He knows what I'm going through. Amen. To those who are struggling today, Jesus knows. Your next note says, His sorrow was not only as He considered the cause for sin, but that in His humanity He could experience our sufferings. And then the last thing there, Jesus understands our sufferings. He understands. Maybe your sorrow's heavy today. Maybe you don't know if you're going to make it. Jesus knows how you feel. So how did he get through this? The next question I have is, how did Jesus deal with his sorrow? How do you deal with yours? One of the beautiful things I believe in this chapter is how God gives us a pattern. He gives us, I believe He gives us a wonderful blueprint on how to deal with our sorrows and how Jesus did. So how did He do this, church? Number one, in the garden, we see the humanity. Number two, we see the humility of Jesus. We see the humility of Jesus. We see this in many ways in this chapter in Gethsemane. In verse 39, we see it in his direction. Your first note, we see it in his direction. The Bible says he went a little further in verse 39. Jesus in Gethsemane went a little further. We see a beautiful picture between the Father and the Son, and it's a picture of faith. The Bible says that he went a little further into Gethsemane. Remember, Gethsemane is a place of what? Pressure. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of agony. It's a place where Jesus said, I'm almost to the point of death. And God said, I need you to come a little further. I need you to come a little further, son. God said, son, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a place today you hadn't been before. I'm going to take you into some uncharted waters. I'm going to take you into some deep waters today, son. I'm going to take you somewhere where you haven't been. It's, it's deeper in here. It's harder in here. But I need you to come a little deeper. So he went a little further, and, and I see humility there. God may be saying to you today, you need to come a little further. Hey, listen, we know, church, ultimately... Ultimately, God wants us as believers to get to a place of sacrifice. Amen? Jesus, listen to me, was headed to a place of sacrifice, Calvary. But you've got to go through Gethsemane to get to Calvary. Too many Christians today are dying in Gethsemane. They're not getting through their sorrow. They're not getting through their agony. They're not making it. God's saying, you've got to... Hey, I'm wanting to take you to a place of sacrifice, but you've got to learn how to suffer. You've got to learn how to deal with your sorrow. Hey, and if you're not in Gethsemane Church, just keep living. You'll get there. You'll get there. But he wants us to go a little bit deeper, and it ain't going to be easy. 
Jesus went a little further with the Father in His direction. Verse 39 also says this, that He fell on His face. Fell on His face before the Father. Before, listen, before He even prayed, we see humility, don't we? He hadn't even prayed yet. We all know the verse, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and then pray. Do you realize humility comes before prayer? How we come to God and the attitude that we come to God in prayer needs to be tempered with great humility, church. God don't owe us anything, amen? Yet we come to God at times flippantly or out of obligation when we need to humble ourselves. By the way, that verse is to God said is to my people. The problem in the world today is not the world. The problem today is pride in the church. It's my pride. How did Jesus deal with his sorrow? Well, the first thing he did is he humbled himself. If you're going through a lot of pain today or a lot of negativity, or if you're dealing with this COVID thing and it's got you down, my advice to you, the first thing I think we need to look at is, let's just humble ourselves before God. Amen? As a church, let's just fall on our face before God. And as God takes us into the deep waters of Gethsemane, just fall on our face and say, God, I'm going to trust you. It's not going to be easy. I may even feel like I'm going to die at times. But I'm going to humble myself. We see humility, church, in his direction and in his posture. He fell on his face before God the Father. And in your last note there is in his solitude. He went alone to be with God. He went alone. It's a picture of solitude. Jesus even told in one account, he specifically tells Peter, James, and John, you stay here. You stay here. I'm going to go be alone with the Father. You know, my first thought is, if Jesus needs time alone with God the Father, then how much more do I? Amen? I'm telling you, church, listen to me this morning. We need alone time with God. Amen? It's called solitude. It's a spiritual discipline. And just the fact that discipline's in the Word tells you it's not going to be easy. Amen? It's a spiritual discipline to be alone with God the Father. It's called solitude. It's not easy. Many times Jesus, we find in the Word of God, many times Jesus would pull away from His disciples. And the Bible says sometimes He would go into the mountain. It would use that phrase. And He would be with the Father. In this passage, they're in the garden. And in John 18, 2, I don't have it on the board, but in John 18, 2, it says that Jesus went there oftentimes. This was kind of his place with God. Do you have a place? It said in the first verse that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. He had a place with God. Do you have a place? We need a place, amen? We need a place that we can be alone with God, church. Hey, too many Christians today, listen to me. I love our church. It's awesome. But too many Christians today try to live off corporate worship. And it don't work. God's people today trying to make it off Sunday to Sunday, falling apart, sorrowful, dying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, give us this day our daily bread. We need God every day. We need solitude. We need a long time with God. There's a place in Gethsemane, deep into Gethsemane, a little further, he said, that it's just you and God. It's just you and God. You need that church. If you don't have that, I would encourage you today to find a place. Find a place. 
Jesus went alone. There's a lot here, church. I, I think many times the closer Jesus got to Calvary, the lonelier it got. Amen? By the time he got to the cross, there wasn't many left. Hey, there's going to come a time. You know what I see there? There's going to come a time when you're in Gethsemane with God that you're not going to get a lot of outside support. Amen? We've got to get to a point in our Christian life in Gethsemane when the pressure's on, when the agony's hard, and it's just us and God that we don't need a lot of outside support. I'm all about exhortation, but there are times even Jesus, man, it was just a, just a few people there by the time he made it to Calvary. It gets lonely at the cross. Jesus was in agony. He went alone to be with God. Man, we need a place. I hope today God will give you a place. I don't know where your place is. My place is my car. Amen? That's where I, that's where I talk to God. They say, have a, the Bible says have a prayer closet. I can't have a prayer closet. Too many people in my house. Amen? <clears throat> Every closet open, somebody's in there. <laughs> Whoops. So mine's my car. I travel a lot. So that's where I talk to God. I mean, that's my Gethsemane. Me, just me and Him. I'm not a crier. I'm not. I just, I've really only cried where other people see me cry just, just a handful of times. When my nephew died and when my mother died, I certainly shed a tear. But you know what? I've cried a bunch in my car talking to God. Nobody else saw it but him. I was deep in Gethsemane, man, I was weeping. Man, you need a place, church. If you don't have a place, I'm telling you, as great as a worship team and a pastor as we have, he would tell you today, you cannot live off corporate worship. Find you a place. Maybe this week you're going to commit to finding a place. Next thing we see, did I give you all the notes on that one? The next thing we see is the prayer of Jesus. The prayer of Jesus. What time is it? Oh yeah, we're good. The prayer of Jesus. We see His humility. We see this, we see His prayer. Very interesting to me as I look at this prayer. Look at verse uh, 42. Or excuse me, 39, I'm sorry. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father. Here's his first prayer. His first prayer is, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So in the first prayer of Jesus, there's something very interesting between the two prayers. Actually, there was three, but the second and third one he said are the same. But something very interesting between the two prayers, and something very interesting happens between the two prayers. So his first prayer is, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's in the KJV. So in the first prayer, Jesus was saying, Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup. Lord, if it's possible, remove the pain. If it's possible, r remove this trial from my life. If it's possible. Now this was not Jesus trying to get out of dying for your sin, as some people will say. No, Jesus knew in 1 Peter, before the foundations of the world, that he was going to be offered as a sacrifice for our sin. That ought to even overwhelm us more, church. That God not only died for us, but he planned it. This was not that. This was Jesus asking God, is there another way? If it be possible, Lord, remove this cup. Now, I don't... If you're in Gethsemane today and you're suffering and struggling, you may be praying, Lord, please remove this cup. Remove this pain. I can be... I was there with our son. I remember so many times saying, God, please heal my son and remove this sorrow, this trial that's affecting my whole family. Remove, God, this sorrow in my life. 
But what happens? Jesus said, nevertheless, Lord, I would like for you to remove this cup, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And here's something very interesting. As soon as we see Jesus fully surrender to the Father, as soon as we see Jesus do that, Luke twenty two forty three tells us it's not, this is Luke's account. I chose Matthew's, but in Luke's account, it's a little different. In 22.43, it says, As soon as Jesus said, Not my will, but thy will, that God sent an angel. It says in Luke's account that an angel appeared and strengthened him. Amen? It was almost like God was saying, Son, I I can tell you're hurting. I've, I've pulled you deep into Gethsemane, and I can see you're at the point of death. And when Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but thy will, help was on the way. After submission, we see a rescue by God. You know, it was a long time before I gave my son to God. But I'm here to tell you, my wife gave him to God a long time before I did. But I'm telling you, the minute I said, God, I'm done. You do whatever you want. Your will be done. Immediately, God gave me relief. I heard, I think it was Brother Craig Connor, someone last week said, they they said the other day, God, I'm through. Lord, I'm through. It's yours. I don't know where you are today, but you may be like me and in Gethsemane, and all you're praying is, Lord, remove this cup. God, get me out from under this burden. God, get me out from under this pain. God, remove this cup when God, what He really wants you to say is, Lord, I trust you. Your will be done. I've learned, listen, I learned through my son's addiction, I'm a lot better off learning not just to seek relief, but to seek God. Some of us need to quit seeking just relief, but learn to seek God Himself in our pain. How does the prayer change? Well, there's completely two different prayers here. In verse 39, he said, If it be possible, let this cup be removed, this cup. And then in verse 42, he said, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. It's almost like Jesus said in the first prayer, If it be possible, Remove the cup. But in the next two prayers, he said, Lord, if it's not possible. If it's possible, remove it. If it's not possible, then give me the strength to drink it. Amen? That's a hard prayer, church. But I'm telling you, God's teaching us something. There's going to be times in your Christian life, you're going to need to quit praying, God, remove this cup, and pray, God, help me to drink my cup. Help me to drink my suffering. Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of someone who accepted his sufferings. Amen? We don't like suffering, do we? We resist it. We fight it. But Jesus gives us a picture here saying, Lord, if it's not possible, then help me to drink it. Help me to drink it with grace and with strength. And God sent an angel. You know what? God may have an angel on the threshold of helping you. God may have an angel on the threshold of giving you relief from your burden today. God may have, hey, an angel waiting to strengthen you. But you got to submit. The angel didn't come until Jesus submitted, did it? Jesus was going to Calvary and in Gethsemane, He surrendered. Gethsemane is a place of surrender. Calvary's a place of sacrifice. I'm telling you, you've got to surrender before you can sacrifice. In his prayer, we see a drastic change from, Lord, remove this cup, to, Lord, help me to drink my cup. Help me to accept my pain, accept my sorrows. See, that's totally, that's totally different than men think because we're talking about the supernatural here, church. 
After full surrender and submission to the Father, God sent help through an angel. And I can recall, hey, you and I can both recall many times in our life when we were at the point of death, we were hurting. Hey, why? Because we had not surrendered. I was still trying to fix my son. I was still trying to fix my problems. I was still in charge. When God said, I'm just waiting on you to surrender, and I'm going to send an angel to help you. Basically, when we tell God, I got this, I'm tired of that phrase, I got this, you got this. No, we don't. We don't got this, amen? That's not good English, but that's good preaching, amen? I don't got this. I can handle it. No, you can't. We better surrender, church. We better surrender. Because when we say, I got this, what we're saying is, God, I don't need you. I want God to send an angel to me, amen? (laughs) I don't know about y'all, I want God to send an angel to me. The more I study God's Word, the more I realize, listen to me, how much I've missed because of my pride, my stubbornness, me trying to fix things. And this is a tough one for men because we like to fix things. I do believe that. I think God, it seems like most women, it's easier for them to submit to God than it is men. Maybe not, but I struggle with wanting to be in control. Jesus said, if it be possible in the first prayer, remove the cup. But in the second prayer, give me strength to drink the cup. But in all three prayers, we see Jesus surrender to the will of the Father. Your notes there. Sometimes prayer is not about removing our circumstances, but about trusting God in our circumstances. Amen? In all three prayers, we see Jesus surrender to the will of the Father. I don't know in Gethsemane where you're at today, but I would strongly encourage you to surrender. Give it to God. Lastly today, we see the failure of the disciples. I know a preacher always says he don't like to end on a negative note. Amen. <laughs> Boy, I ain't following that pattern, am I? We see the failure of the disciples. Actually, I will end with a good note. How did they fail? You know, this is one of the interesting things about this. Every time Jesus went away to pray, we all just read it. When he comes back, what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. Now, I know it's Sunday. Some of y'all can't wait till your Sunday afternoon nap. Amen? That's my wife's favorite thing to do I mean it's like highlight of her week I mean she like it's almost Sunday and I don't mean a nap I mean bless God from like one to six <laughs> that ain't a nap amen you can't say you're napping if you sleep five hours you went to bed amen there's a difference I can't do that. If I do that, I won't sleep the night, that tonight. So I, take, I do take a, like a 20-minute nap on the couch. It even says in one of these verses, their eyes, in verse 43, their eyes were heavy. Jesus said, hey, all he told them to do, the only thing he said to do was, hey, guys, I'm going to go into Gethsemane to be with God. Y'all need to watch and pray. Went back, came back, they were asleep. Hey, guys, Peter, can you not pray with me for one hour? I'm, I'm going to go away, watch and pray. Went back, came back over, sleep again. And then a third time, finally, what did he say? Sleep on. Y'all just sleep on. Spiritually speaking, I'm not so sure sometimes God don't look at the church and say, well, just sleep on. Just sleep on. 
You know, the only, one of the only instructions Jesus gave us when he left, when he was ascended, is the same thing he told them. He said, watch and pray, right before he ascended. So what does that mean, watch and pray? Well, to watch is just a word that means to be alert to spiritual surroundings and dangers. That's in your notes. Be alert to the spiritual surroundings. He was saying to the disciples, hey guys, I'm fixing to pay the price for sin. I need you to be alert. I need you to be alert to your surroundings spiritually. And, And he said that to the church. You say, Brother Butch, what are we supposed to be doing today in this crazy world we're living in? We're to watch and pray. We're to be alert to our spiritual surroundings. Why? You know, it said in that chapter, he said, that you enter not into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I thought, what temptation, God, are you talking about? He was talking about the temptation to deny him. The temptation to disobey him. He said, watch and pray. It wasn't a suggestion, amen? It was a commandment. But did they obey? No. So the temptation here is one of disobedience. The one of denying Jesus. And he said, I find you sleeping. Could you not pray with me for an hour? This is one of the few times that I've, I've personally ever seen in the Bible where God, Jesus, asked the disciples to minister to him. And they failed. He spent his whole life ministering to others. But here he's saying, God, guys, I need your help. I need you to pray. What? By the way, these two things, by the way, they're not separate. They're to, they're, it's watch and pray. They go together. Amen? Being alert to your spiritual surroundings. Staying in tune to the spiritual things in this life so that we're not deceived. And prayer go together. They go together. If you're not alert spiritually, it will greatly diminish your prayer life. So always remember that these go together. What are we to do, gospel light, in these last days, in these crazy times? We're to watch and pray. We're to be alert. We're to be on top side and we're to pray. Disciples failed, though. By the end of the chapter, man, the Bible says they, when the heat was on, they, when the pressure in Gethsemane hit them, they fled. To watch means to be alert. Your other note is there. To pray is to commune with God because Jesus knew it would take supernatural power to overcome the temptation of denying Him. And then your last note, and I wanted to end positively, amen. Thankfully, failure is never final with God if we'll come back to Him. Amen. Aren't you glad that failure is never final with God? Aren't you glad that he gives us another chance? Hey, Jesus knew these guys were going to flee and go to sleep. Yet, when their faith was confirmed in the resurrection, these guys would die for Jesus. Amen? Man, the the resurrection confirmed their faith, and it gave them a newfound boldness. And most of them did die for Jesus. So I want you to know, no matter where you're at, maybe you'd say, man, I just feel like I've let God down. Well, come back come back. I'm telling you, my son is an example. God was waiting on him. Just come back. Just come back. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe maybe you're in Gethsemane. The pressure's on. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you've spent too much time praying, God, remove this cup and you need to pray, God, help me to drink my cup. Because sometimes God don't remove it, amen? How many times did Paul ask God to get rid of the thorn? God said, no, you're going to have to drink this cup. Maybe you'd come today and say, Lord, help me to accept my sufferings. Help me to learn to pray, not just, sometimes God will remove, but Lord, help me when you decide not to remove my pain. Help me to drink my cup so that you'll give me strength. Because that's when he will. And then maybe some would come today and say, Man, it just feels like my prayers hadn't, God hadn't been listening. Feels like nobody cares. Well, have you surrendered? 
Because it was only after Jesus himself surrendered that God sent an angel. God may send you an angel today if you'll surrender. I'm telling you, you could leave here totally changed. If you're lost today, we would encourage you to come. There will be another elder up here with me. We'd be honored to show you how God can save you today. Church, I don't know about you, but if God's spoken to you, we're going to go to, we're going to, go to the Lord's Supper next week. My challenge to you this week is that you would not only remember the crucifixion, but remember the mental anguish of Jesus. I don't think we spend enough time on that. I hope you'll do that this week as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. Let's all stand. Father, I'm very thankful for your word. I'm very thankful that in this Garden of Gethsemane, you give us a beautiful picture not only of your love for us. You give us a beautiful picture not only of your sacrifice and your mental suffering, but you also give us a blueprint on how to handle our Gethsemanes, how to handle our pain, how to be able to go deeper into Gethsemane with God and in great solitude with our Father, make it to a place of sacrifice. Lord, bless this invitation. I pray people will come and and talk to their Father today. In Jesus' name, amen.